Hi, my name is Frank Dukes. Some of you might recognize my name from the movie Bloodsport. John claude Van Damme portrays me in the movie. Well, I want to introduce you to a real champ, a real comité, fight his own right. Justin Ray Harvey, enjoy the show, won't be disappointed. And gentlemen, to the World Martial Arts Radio Network. Up next, you will be listening to the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame Show Host of the Year Award winner, the one and only Justin Harvey, producer, director, and on-air star of the Justin Harvey Show. Thank you for having me here. It's a true, true honor. I've been a fan of yours since I was three years old, so this is basically a true, true honor. Well, the honor's on my Thank you. And I would like to first start with the history of Bloodsport, which mm -hmm. is my favorite movie. Could, could you tell everybody how Bloodsport and Kumite all started? Well, um, that's a lot to tell, but let's start, let's start with Bloodsport. It's rather, it's rather an interesting story. Um, I try to tell people about it that, you know, you, you're, you, you reap what you sow. And in, regarding Bloodsport, I had a friend of mine named Sheldon Luddits who uh, graduated the American Film Institute. Sheldon <clears throat> wanted to be a writer, director, and he needed a reel. And so it was recommended to him that he do a short movie. And uh, so, he got together with me, and um, Sheldon wrote it, and I uh, helped finance it, and uh, <clears throat> was even in the movie, and it's called Firefight, uh, and actually, believe it or not, it was starring Brian Thompson, who starred in Cobra and had a couple of TV series. Uh, he was in it, uh, Gary Casper, a number of people who were just starting out in industry right then that nobody even knew about. All, all of us were young, just starting out our careers. And after we got through wrapping the film and Sheldon was editing it, he came across another gentleman editing his film in, in the same editing facility and they got to talking about, uh, you know, martial arts. Um, this guy named Mark DeSalle, who became the leader of the producer of Bloodsport, uh, said, hey, wait a minute, that uh, Frank Duke's guy, I've been looking for him, I saw this movie, I mean, this article on Kumite or well, like, I, magazine, and, and I want to do, I always want to do this, this, fight, this movie, you know, um, uh, martial art movie. Said, so, but right now the, you know, martial art films are dead. Nobody wants to do them because they had run their gamut with Shokasuki and Chuck Norris. And they had a certain style. But regardless, he thought that was kind of unique. The story was unique enough to get one made. And so next thing you know, Sheldon arranged a meeting. I met with Sheldon and Mark DeSalle. We had story conferences constantly. Um, I gave uh, Sheldon actual programs of actual Kumite events, uh, had him talk to people, I showed the sell actual Kumite footage, and then from that they said, could you do these moves and can you teach them? I said, yeah, and it came out that I was also uh, trained by uh, Hubie Kearns, who's a stuntman hall of legend, uh, uh, hall of fame legend, along with uh, Boyd Red Morgan who both trained me, and what people don't know is generally is that Hubie is the one who trained Bruce Lee, movie fighting. Wow, really? Yeah, he, he did it for the Green Hornet, uh, doing Cato. Showed him how to stage it and do the camera work. Although Lee had had lots of experience uh, doing some films in, in China, uh, it was still 
the the art. There's an art to setting it up, and uh, that came from uh, Huey, who also schooled me. Wow. God rest his soul. And uh, when we went in to do the film, um, there was actually two two of us to do the choreography. There was a guy named Steve Lee, who was a Chinese fight coordinator, and he's on the film as a stunt coordinator. And there was myself, and Lee would do his kind of chop socky kind of things. I said, why, why do it that way? Let's do it the real way. Let's do it the way it was. It really happened. Right, right. So I started staging and I was asked to work with all the fighters and I did and I choreographed the, the movie. And uh, it, of course I worked with David Worth who's a brilliant uh, mind as far as uh, movie making goes. And we came up with a whole new way of shooting it, um, a whole different way to sequence it, a whole different way of cutting it. And we actually changed the way the genre was done. And that's primarily, I think, one of the reasons why Bloodsport was such a success, because when you looked at the movie, it looked different. It had a different feel about it. The fight scenes built to a certain crescendo. And of course, the story itself said a lot, and I had a lot of fans all over the world who knew about my fight record to begin with. So we had a built-in audience in many ways uh, for people to want to go see it. And you tried to keep it as realistic as possible. I did. In fact, uh, Showtime did a special where they actually showed uh, footage in Showtime against scenes in the movie, and you could see they were similar, the, the kicks. They weren't as graceful, obviously, when you're doing a movie, you got a little more time, you can make your kick look really pretty and beautiful, and a straight leg where it might be just a little bit bent in a real fight because of distancing, you know, you're not yeah. getting operation of the guy. But, um, <clears throat> uh, and also, when you kick a guy in movies, it really goes by his head. You don't really kick him a lot of times. It uh, actually is like a foot away. Whereas if you're hitting a guy in real life, you know, your foot's going to stop because it's making a contact. Mm -hmm. So there's a little difference in that regard. But other than that, the movements were identical. And that's one of the reasons why everybody uh, enjoyed it. Ted Tabora, one of the things, uh, best compliments I ever got was from... Uh, they call him the Sickle Man. Ted DeBoer is one of the greatest martial artists that ever lived. He's a martial art legend. And wow. He, and he loved it. He said it was very real. And that's one of the things he, he loved about it. And he knew about Kumite fights from his days as being a young man. And, and, uh, wow. Now, how did uh, the name Bloodsport come about? I've heard this story before, but for people that have not heard this story, I would like them to hear the story about how the title Bloodsport about. Well, a lot of people thought the term blood sport comes from fox hunting because they used to call that. I never even knew it at the time. Um, what happened was when I was fighting my first fight, my first fight was in Tijuana, Mexico on a junkyard. And they had made the platform out of old tires and, and uh, two by fours and uh, plywood all nailed together. Mm -hmm. cut, cut, and they stretched over it some uh, styrofoam and then put a cloth over that. I mean, that was my, my platform. That was your mat. That was my mat. And <clears throat> so um, there were supposed to be six fighters. There was only five of us. So they are out trying to get the sixth fighter because I guess the sixth guy kind of chickened out. And while we're waiting around, um, I was really nervous. I'm 19 years old at the time. I didn't know what to think. So I did like a Howard Cosell invitation. I walked up to the other fighters to break the, the ice and said, you know, here we are at the Red Cross Blood Sport, <laughs> where everybody's guaranteed to give a pint. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on real quick. Uh, I read your book, The Secret Man. Yeah. I love it. Um, I want to hear a little bit about that. 
but I understand that you didn't get to fully write the book. How do you feel about the success, and what would you have well, done different if you could well, have one thing, the book? First of all, Secret Mail, I, I started writing it, and I got I took ill. I was actually hospital, hospitalized and put in a coma at the time. And uh, one of the things about it that, um, that really uh, got to me is that um, I lost my voice in it. Like they did certain things that uh, in the editing that didn't didn't make sense. Like they put down Admiral Smith was a Gulf War commander. No, I was saying he was a rank of a commander at the time. That there was the Gulf War. Um, <clears throat> different things like that. They uh, I, uh, they didn't adhere to my galley changes. Uh, one of the things is they say Casey was short. I said he was short of breath. That he used to mumble a lot. Um, they took that line out, and of course they, they left short, but fortunately for my vindication, later in the book I talk about how, how I was tall and lanky and, and moving in a certain way. Wow. And so uh, that, I got a little bit disturbed with it, and I eventually saw all this resistance come out on the book, and I got a phone call from someone basically saying, you need to stop promoting it because there's certain people it's putting in jeopardy. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And I, and I did. And, uh, and uh, you know. I, I love the book. But I wanted to make a, a statement. I know that uh, you've had, you know, controversy in your life. Mm -hmm. People writing this and writing that about your life, and they don't know what they're talking about. And they chip away at Frank and all this. I've read the due diligence. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, Albert Einstein said it. Self, you know, you know, great minds have, uh, you know, advert, you know, are are bound to to uh, face, you know, violent opposition by mediocre minds, and uh, you know, I'm a threat to a lot of people in the industry, a perceived threat. I don't know why they see that, but that's exactly how they do it. They can't compete with me from a academic level, physical level, or experiences. So the only thing they can do is by creating a controversy or feeling controversy. It's a good example is a guy who's a reporter who wanted to make a name for himself, said I bought my Kumite trophy, but... Yeah, and it was, the receipt was wrong, correct? Well, it was ridiculous. I mean, it yeah. showed that the man was a liar. It, it was so grossly inaccurate, it proved the guy did this maliciously, and he had a malicious intent, in my mind, to, to harm our reputation, just so he could, he could promote his reputation. And for years it went unopposed and on the internet and he was being heralded as some authority. The guy's a science and, uh, you know, editor. He has no, no, no knowledge of martial arts. He got in a huge verbal fight with the, uh, the father of uh, uh, karate for the United States, Ed Parker, uh, who said he, he, members of his own extended family would come forward and talk about me being in the Kumite and all that. Wow. And, that, and it was ridiculous. And when you look at the receipt that this guy held up as credible, here's the reality of it. Uh, 1980, I'm in Black Belt Magazine, I'm holding uh, my trophy, okay? When this receipt was first shown to me, first shown to me. First shown. First shown, it was dated 1982. 1982. So when we showed him the receipt, uh, that it couldn't, it couldn't even be close to, because I have an article on Black Belt Magazine verifying when I won my championship. And mind you, they state very clearly they verified it. They're in the martial art industry. Their journalists were in a position to verify or, or disprove something. Not some guy who's, you know, a stringer at that time, 
and certainly it comes from a science community. The, the, the other thing is that, that, is that that picture of me holding the trophy was taken in 1976, when I won it, right? So here he has a, a receipt dated 1979, the second time he produces the receipt, okay? Which happened in the case of Van Damme um, when, when we got in the lawsuit. It took me 10 years to finally get that thing uh, up in front of a, a, an actual jury so it could be examined or entered in evidence so we could actually show them to be a liar. The, so you have now another three years difference just in the date. The receipt isn't even made out in my name. It's made out to a Frank D-U-K-E-S. And, anybody and it's knows spelled D-U-X, correct? Dukes, right. Yes. And if you, uh, you look at their signature line, you can see somebody basically cut and paste my signature off of uh, maybe probably one of my old contracts or something like that, and they put it onto the receipt. Because wow. you can see where the F goes, which should go through the line and it's cut off, and the D should go, and it's just situated just above the signature line. So that's another factor. Wow. And, you know, I mean, and then here's the, uh, the ultimate coup de grace. Ready for this one? Yeah. The receipt is for a trophy that's three, three tiers in height, like you see the usual karate trophy. Yeah. It has four judo figures, okay? Four. It has two gold cups, okay? Yet my trophy, if you look at it, all right, and this is like, there's no excuse for this, for this mistake, is a two-foot pedestal with a big silver cup on top. Now explain to me how that could be a trophy receipt for my trophy when they aren't even remotely close even in description. Right, right. So that's really the reality of the situation. And and it just you know, and then these other guys come along and for whatever reasons they can't compete with me again again, fairly in business. Uh, Robert Brown and myself were uh, competing with uh, a film project with Jerry Bruckheimer. He not only trashed me, but what people don't realize is he trashed uh, Richard Marcinko. He called him Pogue Warrior. Uh, for the same reasons. He was competing against uh, Marcinko and myself to get our project screenlighted because they were going to pick one of the three to do a TV series and it ended up being Soldier of Fortune after he, he basically took us out of competition. <laughs> so in a way his, his tactics work and they paid off for him but uh, did they really pay off for him karmically or in the end? I don't think so because people as time goes on in history they're going to they look at him through you know you know, different different glasses now because it's like anything goes for the guy to make a buck. Okay, now what I want to touch on, Frank, if you don't mm -hmm. mind, what are you working on now? Because I know that there's fans out there like myself that really want to know what's going on with Frank Dukes right now. Well, uh, most uh, immediate thing that I'm working on right now is a is a film called um, No Right to Die. I did it in Mongolia. It is a, a the first time that the Mongolian people will have an autonomous voice in the film community. Uh, it's the story of Genghis Khan, and we're just in the process of editing it. It'll be uh, uh, the true story of Genghis Khan, not the the Japanese, American, Russian versions yeah. of how they tell the story. And it's 100% uh, historically authentic. The fight, I mean, the battles are, are fought exactly where the battles were fought. It's all shot really in Mongolia, not Kazakhstan, not on the back lot of Universal, you know. Um, and the uh, story is quite compelling. And uh, so that's one thing I'm working on. The second thing I'm working on is I spent a uh, good majority of my life 
cataloging techniques from all the different systems and finding the similarities between all of them. And I created for our industry the first core curriculum. I don't care what style you come from, these are the things that you should or absolutely know if you're going to call yourself or hold yourself up to be a martial art instructor. And it's uh, one uh, version, it's going to be the first professional desk reference book for the martial art industry. So if you want to know anything about strangles, you open it up, all of them are there. If you want to know about uh, seizing, twisting, and locking of the joints, it's all going to be there. And anybody can use this, correct? Oh, yes. Just anybody. You don't have to be a martial artist, right? No, no. If you ever want to know about the martial arts, all the fine points, it's, it's going to be fascinating. And the nice thing about it is I give also in the book a certain amount of theory of how martial arts strategy and tactics you can apply and how you apply it to your daily life like threat and anger management, okay? How, how, do, how do you control that? Your situational awareness, how you can spot opportunities and exploit them to your advantage. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of things from the book that people can benefit from um, aside from that. And plus it's going to be, the idea of it wasn't even so much as an instructional gate. I just wanted to make something that was really going to be a great like gift item, mm -hmm. like uh, um, something that every man would want, you know, in his library, on his desk at home. Um, this is to me was really really important, you know, you know to, that I leave a legacy behind my knowledge, and also do something for the martial art industry uh, because what makes it kind of unique is I create a common language, and what I do is like uh, for example in, in karate whether you do Korean style Chinese styles uh, Japanese styles they all have the same movements in many cases but they have different words for them. Okay, and what I'm doing is I, instead of giving a word, I give it a number. Okay. So everybody can understand and agree on a number and, and a cataloging a sequence. So let's say a jumping, spinning, heel kick, uh, which in one style would be called rabbit, dragon, you know, flies and whips its tail. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you're going, huh, what's that? Okay. Well, is really... You know, you just call it to 113.30, you know? Yeah. One being the first, you know, first uh, volume, chapter 13, 30th kick. <laughs> well, one of the last things I really want to touch on, Frank, mm -hmm. is something personal for me. Uh, that thing that you did with my legs just yes. it inspired me to even believe more of what you do. I mean, I've always believed mm -hmm. when I was a child. But whatever you did with my legs, uh, could you tell us exactly what that was? Well, I did a thing called Chuaka. Uh, you saw probably on uh, That's Incredible, I took a kid who'd never walked before. Yes. And I used the, a Mongolian massage to re-stimulate. It, it has to do with rerouting the chi flow within the body so that it, you're, instead of using muscle, you, you're using pure energy to maneuver, which is what I did with you. Yes. It, uh, you know, you couldn't use your toes before and now you're able to flex them you couldn't move side to side now you're able to move side to side and it's like yesterday we went to the movies together and uh, I was able to balance popcorn on this side and my drink on this side and I've never ever been able to do that I've always had to hold on to something because if I didn't hold on to something it would just spill it's just amazing the proof is right there people well that, that, and that's the most important thing for you Jerry's, you got to experience it firsthand. It, it's because you tell people it, it sounds like mumbo jumbo to them. 
you know they don't they don't they don't understand it and hopefully someone will hear what you're talking about and they'll build a, a good doctor or somebody who's a little more scientifically based will move in that direction. Oh, I've had my troubles with doctors saying that I wasn't going to live and wasn't going to make it. I think that's why me and you kind of relate, you yeah. know, because... Oh yeah, I've had the same thing happen to me when I had my spinal meningitis. So, yeah. So. But, um, yeah, you know, it's just... Uh, People can't predict the future. They can't be absolute authorities on anything. I never hold myself out to be that. Um, I try to share my knowledge with as much people as I can, and, and your uh, having me share it with you uh, brings a warm, a warm spot to my heart and my memory, and, and uh, being able to know that you're going to share that with other people and hopefully inspire other people. That's that's important. It's it's been amazing in my closing statement, Frank, and then you can have a closing statement if you'd like. Uh, you have nothing more to prove to the world. Well, um, you have nothing more to prove. Well, thank you, Jerry. That's very nice of you, especially in, in light of some people who, who are what you call on the internet haters. Yeah, I, I get those all the time too, Frank, because anybody can sit uh, behind a keyboard and type about stuff that they don't know, or they're angry at somebody and they don't have nothing better to do with their energy, which is pretty sad. It is, and that's why, why whenever I deal with people like that, I, I, and my, my closing statement is whenever you see that, people don't deal with anger, deal with compassion. Show them uh, affection and love as opposed to get caught up in their, their, their force, their negativity, and, 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 uh, and deal with them. So um, you'd be surprised, uh, sometimes you can turn uh, your worst enemies into your greatest friends when you do that. So thank you, Jay Ray. Thank you for coming to see me and being on the show and <clears throat> my pleasure my pleasure all right goodbye you have been listening to the justin harvey show here on the world martial arts radio network be sure to tune in again next week for his latest show thank you for listening